This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Good morning, everybody. Oh, man, is it that bad? Come on, you got to sleep in. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. You guys are going to have a blessed week. So get ready. Anybody need the Bible? Raise your hand. We'll pass you a Bible. We have uh, somebody in the back giving you Bibles. I want you to be able to follow along. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. My favorite chapter of Ecclesiastes, one of my my favorite chapters of the Old Testament. It's incredible. Very good, very good chapter, good content. The Lord has some great stuff for us today. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the title of today's message, if you're a note taker or you're taking notes, by the way, in the seat backs in front of you, there is a calendar with all the events that we have going on this month. We come out with one of those and replace it every month. And on the back side, if you flip it around, there's a space where you can jot down some notes if, if you'd like to, if you forgot a pen or paper, if you forgot paper. So the title of today's message is Everything Beautiful. And each study that we go through, through the book of Ecclesiastes, we do different things with different books. Remember, Mark was sandwiches, and, and um, Corinthians was, we had the five parts, five series through the whole book, and we focus on specific things. For the book of Ecclesiastes, each chapter, each study that we do has a word that's tied to it, really, that encompasses uh, the whole of the chapter, the whole of the study. And, and I want you guys to, to think about it, remember it, because it, it will provoke thought. You, you'll be able to go along throughout your week and think about what the Word had to say, what the Lord was speaking to you. So each week we've had a different word. Chapter 1, does anybody remember what the word was for chapter 1? Don't say it if you were in the first service either. I get people that do that all the time. I'm like, really? Anybody remember? Purpose. Purpose, number one. It's the opposite of what Solomon was talking about in regards to vanity, putting things back into perspective. We have purpose, and that's God's purpose, his plan, his will. Chapter two last week was, remember, anybody remember what the word was last week? Contentment. See, it's important. If you remember the word, then it will you know, jog your memory, get those juices flowing, and, and it's easier to take the word and apply it to our lives. So contentment and and. Uh, vanity, vanity, all is vanity unless you can find your purpose in life, God's purpose for you, which you can find true contentment through as well. Godly contentment is great gain. And then today's message, chapter three, I'm going to let you guys go ahead and take a shot in the dark. What's the word for today? Spoiler alert, if you read ahead, what's the word for today? Multiple people got it the first service, so I'm not going to judge you if you can't hang with the first service, but what was the wor- what's the word for today? Time. Time. Time? Good job, guys. You can read. Time? 
time, time. Everything in our life revolves around time. And I think that we've talked about this before, and I don't want to be redundant, but, but you cannot get yourself away from out of the time-space continuum. You, you can't do it. No matter where you go, there's always a sense of an understanding of the time that you're in, time, right? You can go into outer space and the stars still move and the, the earth and the sun and, and there's still time. And, and there's somebody that said, if you could go into the deepest mountain and the deepest cavern and the darkest room and you're there by yourself and, and there's nobody else around and you're completely separated from everybody else, there's one sound that you would continue to hear. Does anybody know what that sound would be? Your heart beat. In that deafening silence, you would be able to hear your own heartbeat and you would still not be able to separate yourself from the fact that there's time that's happening. This is a theme or something for me as a believer and as a Bible student studying the scripture that has, that has really um, encouraged me my whole Christian walk to, to dig deeper in. I think that we really don't, we can't. We just, as much as I try to talk about it, we can't really understand or wrap our head around what time is. It's too, it's too great for us. Think of it this way, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, some people may think that this is profound, or some people may think that this is not profound, it's stupid, whatever, it doesn't matter, but, but think of it this way, okay? In, in the grand scheme of things, God is outside of time. He created time, he created time for us, and he created a purpose for time, which we're going to look at in, in chapter 3, verse 1. He created a purpose for the time, but God right now is completely outside of it. He created it. He's looking at it. He can see your entire life in this moment. See, even our verbiage, we can't get away from using language that distinctly talks about. So he's outside and in this moment. He can see the beginning of your life. He can see the end of your life. He can see everything that happened throughout your whole life. And there you are standing next to him looking at it. Why? Because there's no time it's a, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. What's it like to live for a thousand years? We'll ask, you know, some of the old guys, Noah. And the Bible says that, that, that time, a day, and a thousand years is like that for God. It's the same. It's nothing and it's everything. It's eternity. And this is something that God wants us to understand as people, that there's a purpose for time, that he created it. He wants us to understand it. And in, in connection to all of this vanity that Solomon sees, we're going to have an answer to some of those questions today. In, in the highlight, chapter 3 is really the highlight, if you will, the cornerstone of Ecclesiastes. So before we get into chapter 3, starting in verse 1, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this moment a moment that we can come before you, that your word tells us we can come boldly before you, before your throne of grace. We worship you. Thank you for the little things that, that sometimes get forgotten, the things that we don't really take into consideration regularly, God. Thank you for your provision, for for your care, for your compassion, for your love. We pray, Lord, today that you would 
you'd bless our time as we, as we seek you, to seek to know you, seek to draw near to you, seek to hear from you that we would, that we would hear, that we would see, that we would receive something from you. And what we have to give you, God, this morning is our undivided attention and focus towards who you are. Thank you, God, for that time of worship that we can offer you the fruit of our lips to, to, to not just say, but to sing that you are good. You are so good. Thank you, Father, for this time of study in your word. Your word, we know, is active and sharper than any double-edged sword. We, we thank you, Father. We want it to be a time of worship where we can come before you, we can, we can read your word, we can apply it to our lives. And lastly, Father, I pray that you would bless the tithes and offerings that, that, that we have to give to you. That we, and we want to do it in, as an act, in, in a, as a form of worship to you. You deserve so much, and whatever little we can give, we want it to be for your glory, Father. Bless your word. Bless our fellowship and our time together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 3, verse 1. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Now, if you're an underliner, you could have that verse underlined in your Bible. It is, um, in its profundity, it is one of those things that has more meaning than we can even see at first glance. And the truth is deep, isn't it? To everything, there is a season. To everything. And we would like to focus just on certain things, <laughs> not everything. There's no purpose or there's no real reason for this to happen in my life. And God says, no, no my purpose is for everything to have purpose, is for everything to have meaning. And I meant this too. Everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under the sun. There's your key word right there if you are a circler, purpose. There is purpose in everything. And, and we can look and see or judge and say whether it does or it doesn't. We're going to get to the other side of it toward the end of the chapter. But the things that happen in our lives are for purpose, for God's purpose. And when you can, can grab a hold of that, when you can say, God, I know that this has purpose, that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his, what, church? Purpose. Called according to his purpose. If we can, if we can settle down on that and say, God, I know that this has purpose. If you can hold on to the fact that the things that God allows to happen in your life has purpose, then you will be able to find last week's contentment. But if you cannot, will not, do not settle down on God's purposes for you in your life, you, you shall not have contentment. There will be a striving. There will be a tiring. There will be a repetition, like Solomon says, of vanity, vanity, all is vanity. But putting that aside and focusing on that there is a season for everything, God does bring us through many things. 
And everything has its purpose under heaven, a time for everything. Then we will be in a place to better receive the good things that God has for us and receive them as good things from him instead of wallowing in our own self-pity. Because we have a tendency to settle on the negative than receive the goodness and the positive that God wants us to have. Number two, a time to be born and a time to die. He just got right to the point, huh? Right up, right off the bat. (laughs) There's a time for everything. There's a time for you to be born, and there's a time for you to die. There's a time to plant, and a time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. These are the extremes on both ends. But what we do is we, we, we recognize that at the best and at the worst, we also accept everything that comes in the middle. The only place that these verses does not, do not apply is in Las Vegas where it's always hot. I'm kidding. We have, I, I, I joke, I say we have two seasons It's either hot or cold, that's it. And usually it's like, you know, in the transitional times, it's like, super hot today? Why is it cold today? (laughs) What's happening? Why is it like this here? I like seasons. When When we think about weather, you're typically always looking forward to the next season. All the fall memes and jokes, I love all the making fun of the pumpkin spice girls. It just really, you know, it's really funny to me, like how, like they love it so much. They love like fall and pumpkin spice. That's it, right? Pumpkin spice. I'm not, I'm not picking anybody out. But then the other people, they love to hate on the pumpkin spice people. And guys were just like, whatever, a season for everything. It's their season. Leave them alone. Let them enjoy the pumpkin spice, okay? It's going to be discontinued in, in a few months. And we're going to go into a whole different world. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. We are not known, in my family, we are not known as plant people. We have tried over the years. We'll get some plants and they quickly perish. Pretty quickly. They die. They don't last long. And as much as intentional as we would like to be, um, it's there it's nice, and then it's dead. And, and when we first get it, we're really excited. Oh, our plant, you know, it's going to brighten up the room, and it brings some, oh, it's beautiful, you know, and then it's on the counter, and it's dead. We don't leave the plant there. Be like, yeah, that's our dead plant. We try, but it couldn't make it. Just display it for the whole world, our failures. We take it, and we pluck it up. We shake the soil out for the next unsuspecting subject that's going to go in the pot, 
and then we throw it away. And it becomes, it's become more natural for us now. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, it died. I mean, we knew, we all knew it was going to happen. But even the Bible says, it's okay, Tim. There's a time to plant. There's a time to pluck what was planted. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. This is pretty true. And spiritually speaking, it applies to us very powerfully. For me, on a daily basis, it's a time to kill. It's a time to kill the flesh. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, pick up your cross. Deny yourself. It's a crucifying of the flesh. And, and God is, is, is faithful. This is a truth that you can take to the bank. God is faithful that when we faithfully kill the flesh, that means deal with the sin issues of our hearts, he is faithful to heal us. And he will. He says, you've got to go through this season of flesh killing. I'm going to take you into a season of restoration. I'm going to take you into a season of healing. And the hurts and the difficulties that happened in the past, God wants to use if we allow those things to stay in the past. God wants to use those things for our good, for our healing. He says, it's a season. You're just going to go through it for a little bit. But, but even though you're experiencing death, I'm going to turn it into something that's good. time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time of, to laugh. Do you know those weird people who always laugh when everybody's crying and cry when everybody's laughing? I know a guy, you know, this sitting around a campfire and telling our church, annual church camping trip, ton of fun, sitting around a campfire. Every, people are telling their testimonies, right? And this one girl, she's telling her testimony and she can't continue because she's weeping uncontrollably. You know, she's oh, crying, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we know, it's okay. And, and she's trying to continue. To, and then this guy, he just starts laughing, like hysterically. And we're like, what are you laughing at? And thankfully, he had a good relationship with her and with all of us. And he's like, I'm so sorry. But it does happen to him pretty regularly where he, and I'm like, listen, bro, what do, you say to, what do you say to somebody like that? Not the right time. This is not a time of laughing, brother. This is a time of weeping. Let us weep together. Or remove yourself from the campfire and go laugh. And we'll think you did something dumb over there and it'll be okay. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. That one kind of stands out to me because, you know, as a, as a farmer or having a ranch or something, you want to use a field, it's hard to use it with stones. So you go out and you gather all the stones up and you go and you throw them somewhere else. Well, there's times where you gather the stones together too. So instead of throwing them out, you get them together, you make some kind of wall or something. Time changes. Things change. Time to refrain from embracing, a time to embrace, refrain from embracing, gain or lose, <clears throat> keep or throw away. We go through this one with our kids. You know, kids want to keep everything. No, there was a time that you could keep it. Now I'm throwing it away. Sorry. I have this weird thing about balloons. I can't stand them. They are not happy for me. They are miserable when, when my kids were younger and we'd be going somewhere, especially if it, was, if it was like on a road trip or something, my kids had balloons, I'd get bopped in the back of the head 15 times and it would, I would lose my mind. I am the dad that grabs a balloon and pops it in front of his kids. It was an accident. I don't know my own strength. I'm sorry. So now we went to Red Robin, you know, with some friends last week. 
they got that dumb pole out front with all those balloons going with some other people. Everybody's going out and all the kids are getting a balloon. The kids are all looking at me. I'm like, don't even think about it. There's a time. There's a time to keep and there's a time to throw away. So now I'm going to be nice. I'll let them get balloons, but I just, you know, there's a time to throw away when we get home. Because even then, there's a time to tear, there's a time to sow, there's a time to keep silence, there's a time to speak. Some people need to underline that one. A time to live and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit has the worker from all that in which he labors? I've seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are occupied. He says, I've seen everything. I've been through the seasons. I see the seasons uh, that people go through. I've seen what they work for. I've seen their labor. What is the profit? Now, here's our key verse. This is an incredible verse, if you're an underliner or a note taker. And it is one verse, but we have to break it into two parts to really get it for its full meaning Verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. This is something that I wish that we could really grab a hold of every morning we wake up. Do you know what God's intention is for you? It's to take whatever you're going through right now and say, maybe it's hard, maybe it's difficult, maybe it's good, but his intention is to make everything beautiful in your life in its time. And it doesn't mean that you can stay in the beautifulness of it perpetually because you're going to go through seasons and you're going to go through things where, where it changes. But you can have confidence in God right now today that no matter what it is, it's going to be beautiful because he's going to make it beautiful in your life. And this is the opposite of what the enemy wants you to, to think, to understand. This is the opposite of what my pessimistic, nasty flesh wants to dwell on. The negative things and the hard things and how come it has to be this difficult. But God says, I have purpose, Tim. I have purpose for it. I have purpose for you. It is a season. And I'm going to make everything in your life beautiful in its time. One of the worst things that we can do as believers in Jesus Christ, one of the worst things that we can do as Christians is not look forward to the beautiful things God is going to do in our life. Is to not have hope in tomorrow and hope for the future, for his promises to be fulfilled in our life. And you have these Christians that get all bummed out and upset about this season and, and, and they're not really able to make any kind of progress and there's no contentment and they get stuck in a rut. It's like what we're going to be looking at in, in tonight in Revelation going through the seven churches. The church that wasn't looking forward to the promises of God but instead decided to compromise in how they were acting. And Jesus addresses them. There's another, there's another warning that we need to take to heart. Maybe not so much dwelling on 
the bad instead of the good or the hope for tomorrow that we should have. It's, it's more than that. I, I, I talk to people who, who are stuck in a bygone time. They're stuck. And every time, you know, they, they want to talk or whenever they feel good, they always bring up, oh, those were the days, the good old days. That's when it was happening. Even Christians, I talk to some, oh, those were the days God poured his spirit out on the church. I'm like, he stopped doing that? I'm not aware that it ever ended. I was talking to a pastor here in the, in, in the valley who was saying how, uh, you know, there's no, nothing, nobody's getting saved in Vegas. Something's happened in Vegas. It's stagnant here. And I'm like, dude, I don't know where you are, but we see people's lives being transformed on a weekly basis. It's incredible. Why don't you come to our church? There's a time that we're all going to have to go through. And if we're stuck in yesterday, if we're stuck in the good seasons and we don't really find contentment in what God's doing today, we don't find hope in what he's doing for tomorrow, then we're not going to be satisfied. Going back to chapter one, we're not going to be. If we can grab a hold of the truth of God's intention in your life, that he wants, he's going to make everything beautiful in its time, then you will be satisfied. One verse came to mind when I read this. It's Ephesians uh, chapter two. If you'd like to turn there with me, you're welcome. It's over in the New Testament. In fact, I need some water, so you guys go ahead and turn there if you want to. You got a second. And you can't read this verse. This is one of those verses. You cannot read it without really reading the goodness of the context. It's beautifully presented. But God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And here's our focus verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Jerusalem translation of this verse says, we are his works of art. And I wanted to get something like a masterpiece or something to put up on stage. And I'm like, this is a masterpiece, but I can't afford any masterpieces. The only masterpiece I have in my house is my wife. Yeah. Thank you. But a masterpiece is a masterpiece because of the effort that is put into it, the time. And you guys probably know as well as me that artists are weird. They're weird people. They're weird to understand. Don't try. 
I said, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, man, it'd be great if we got some more people on the worship team. We just need to find some people that aren't artists. It's a joke, everybody. Don't, it, it's just, it's actually a compliment. Artists are very unique in what they do, and they're very focused in what they do, right? When you have a masterpiece, you have something that, that somebody is going to spend more, give more time and attention and focus than anything else in their life. And it's special. And the Bible says that you are God's workmanship. You are his masterpiece. You are his work of art. In the Greek, it's poema. It's the word we get our word poem from. You are his masterpiece. And and though maybe it doesn't feel good to have that chunk chipped off with the chisel. But the master knows what he's doing with his masterpiece. And the process, he so purposefully focused on you through the process that it can't turn out any other way than glorious because he's the master working on the masterpiece. And I get it. You know, there's some people who say, you know what? In the church, there's too much focus on us. Like, we're nothing. We're scum. We're nobody. We're dumb. Like, we need to glorify God. And I don't like that worship song because it talks too much about me. Oh, you don't like it because it talks too much about you? Go read the Psalms. You know how much David talks about himself? Why? Because there's a relationship that's happening. And if I'm not being affected by it, then there's something wrong. If I'm so theologically geared that it's about an argument and a process and I'm not engaging with God, it's like the Sadducees and Pharisees who, who knew the law inside and out. They invented new laws. But did they have a relationship with God? You see Jesus face to face, the fulfillment of all Old Testament scripture, and you can't recognize God? We see it in the Old Testament. Oh, God, who is gracious and merciful, compassionate, forgiving the sins of thousands and ten thousands. And then you see Jesus, and you see these guys throwing this woman on the ground. What do you say we do, Jesus? I don't know. Y'all started this party. Y'all finish it. Now we're out. We can't hang. We can't do it. So we have to have these times where we come across a scripture that does talk about us. We have to, we have not for the sake of puffing our chests out in pride. I think that that's the, the, the wrong response. We don't say, oh God, I'm so awesome. You picked me to do your great glorious work through. Nobody else could do it except for me. No, it should humble us before the throne of God. It should make us take our crowns off and throw them at his feet and say, you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy. You are working on me, and I thank you so much for not giving up on me. Because here's a promise of God that you can take to the bank. He would never, ever leave you or forsake you. You may slow the process down, because of your flesh getting in the way, but he is always faithful to take you as far as you're willing to submit and give to him. On Wednesday, we finished the book of Numbers, which was pretty cool. 
We've gone through all of, you know, almost all, we're going to start Deuteronomy, but we've done Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We're going to do Deuteronomy next. And as we finished, we saw the nation of Israel kind of preparing right on the border. They're, they're, they're going through everything again. You know, they're, they're looking at the big picture. The 40 years is over. We're on the river. There's Jericho. We're about to go over. And then in the last chapter, a couple chapters, it talks about how they're going to, they're going to enter in. And it gives the parameters of the land. It gives the whole area that they are uh, to inhabit, that they are given to, the word says, as an inheritance. There is no point in history ever that the children of Israel ever occupied the entirety of the land that God gave to them. Is that sad? God says, this is all the stuff that I have for you. This is all the stuff that I'm doing. You're my workmanship. I want you to receive everything. And you're like, no, I'm good, God. I'm good. I don't want that. And then you have two and a half tribes that begged and said, please let us stay on the other side of the Jordan. We don't want to go into the promised land. What? What? And God doesn't force me. He says, you brat, you get in that promised land that I gave you. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a good promised land. He said, what do you mean? They're like, yeah, this is cattle land, and we'd rather stay out here, but we'll go in and fight the battles whenever it's time to fight. But our families, our wives, and our kids, they'll be in fortified cities over here. They'll be nice and safe, but we'll fight, but we'll come back to our families on this side of the Jordan. I'm like, really? Man, and how do we do that? How do we say, God, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not willing to... Receive the fullness of what you have for me because I'm going to have to kill something. Because you have to die to yourself. Because you think that you're, you think that what you got going is better than what I have for you? Listen, you're going through a season. You're going to be fine. You got to trust me. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you're nothing apart from Jesus Christ, but it's in Jesus Christ that you will find your fulfillment, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says you're his masterpiece. He says that you are his poema. You are a work of art. And before time began, God said, I'm going to make Tim Warholic and I'm going to give him a, you know, a big dosage of good looks and cool personality. He's going to be one of the coolest people that live in Las Vegas. I got nothing from you guys this morning. So, and, 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 and Tim, this is when you're born and I can see your whole life and he's going to scatter out through different days. He's going to say, I, I, he said, I'm going to give Tim different opportunities throughout his life to walk in the good things that I've ordained for him. Isn't that that's what blows your mind? That's what God's word says about you. In Christ, he predetermined events to happen for you, for your good, so that you could walk in them. And the glory of God could be seen to a world, to the whole world. And then we pick and choose the things that we want to be a part of. It's like, no, yes, all right. And one of the things that bums me out the most is when I really sense that I've missed an opportunity that God has given me to minister. 
Uh, for example, um, I got a new barber, and I, I went in, and, and um, his name's Eric. I hope he's watching. He's definitely not, but his name's Eric, and I, and I purposed in my heart to um, use Eric as my barber until he gets saved or starts coming to church, and then I'm going to go get another one. No, I'm just kidding. It'll probably be good to stay. So pray for Eric, please. I purposed in my heart. This guy was born in Vegas, unchurched, doesn't know the Lord. I want him to know my Jesus. Pray for Eric. So I go once or twice a month, talk to him. And I struggle with, you know, when I meet somebody, I struggle with, because I'm kind of like extreme. Once you get to know me, like I'm black and white, you know, it's just like. So do I, do I not say anything for the sake of cultivating a relationship? And people have their different opinions. I'm not saying that how you should do things. But, but for me, my struggle is, do I not say anything and wait for the perfect opportunity? Or do I smash him across the face with my Bible and tell him to repent or perish, pretty much? No. What do I do, you know? So I'm sitting in the chair the first time. I'm like, Lord, save this guy, save this guy. And I'm like, Lord, I don't want to come on too strong. You know me, that dash of craziness, and uh, I don't know how much to share at first or what I'm going to do. Please give me wisdom, soften his heart. When I know, I know that you'll be opening the door when, when, uh, when it happens. So, so I'm, I'm, please, you know, do the, work this thing out. And it, literally, as soon as my thought was concluding, my prayer was concluding in my head, as soon as it was coming to an end, um, he said, hey, so what do you do for work? And I was like, uh, I guess now is that time. <laughs> you know? That was a quickly answered prayer. So I got to share with him. You know, I'm a pastor, and I got to share a little bit with him and talk to him. And, and uh, so, you know, he knows. Uh, the funny thing is, oh, I, won't, I won't get into it. Anyway, so pray for Eric that he's going to get saved. And then other times, like I meet somebody or I do something, and then I miss an opportunity. Maybe it's not to share the gospel. Maybe it's just to love somebody, to, you know, to take care of somebody, uh, to, to let somebody know that God loves them. And then, and then afterwards, I'm like, man, I missed my opportunity. I'm such a dope. Why would I, you know, and I feel bad. I don't, I don't believe that God wants us to feel bad about those missed opportunities. He just wants us to be intentional about how we live today. You can't change the things that happened in the past, but what you can do is you can, you can change your attitude and your perspective of what his purposes are for you today. You can do that today, and he wants you to do that. So you were created for good works since the foundation of the earth was laid. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Do you know that you were created with a sense of eternity? Everybody says, this can't be it. There's got to be more. There is more. God created you that way. There is more. He also has put eternity in their hearts. Remember that quote that I read from C.S. Lewis on week one? If you find yourself asking, you know, nothing in this world, you finding that nothing in this world can satisfy, it's because you were made for another world. It's a famous C.S. Lewis quote. Very good. And it's, it's, it's good because it's true. 
God has greater things intended for you through eternity than you could ever even start to understand exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think or the things that he has for you and his purpose. Eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. It's his to know. It's his to know the work from the beginning to the end. It's him to know the process, but it's up to us if we are going to be willing to submit ourselves to that process. And you know, if I'm honest with you guys, I will say, and you know I am, I wake up every day and say, God, I need to be submitted to you today. I need to be submitted to your purpose. I need to be submitted to your process. I need to be submitted to you in this season. Verse 12, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift of God. I have this underlined in my Bible. I don't know if you'd, if you'd like to agree with me by doing the same. This is the theme that we were talking about that came up last week. We will see this phrase repeated several times throughout the book. And this is connected. This is the, the, the theme verse that's connected to our study last week on contentment as opposed to vanity or meaninglessness, contentment. And this is what he says. He says, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice. Rejoice in all things. Rejoice. Rejoice. And to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor as a gift of God. It is something about sitting down to a double-double and rejoicing for God's provision in your life. Can I get a witness? Somebody testify. That's lame. There, there, is, a, there is an in and out opening on Flamingo and Sand Hill, which means it's right up the street from my house. So I'm pretty excited. He says, even in the small thing, you know, the, even the smallest things, you have a meal today? Rejoice. You will find contentment when everything else fades away and nothing else is important when you are just you are just settled down in the goodness that God has provided for you today in just a single meal to eat and drink. I have a list of priorities in my life. And every day you wake up, you have a list of priorities too. There are certain things that take precedence. They, they're, they're greater than other things. And you put them on a higher platform, right? And I have the first and the second. You know, Number one is God. Should be God sometimes. Two, one and two get switched back and forth for me. Number two is my wife and my family. I love them. And if I'm Again, completely honest, sometimes, you know, I want, they're number one and I want to be with them and stuff. I worry about my kids instead of trusting God. That's me putting my kids number one instead of God number one saying, you, you know what's going on. You're working all this stuff out. So sometimes I switch one and two. And then, and then number three is food. Also, if you know me at all, you'll know the, 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 the utter profundity of that statement. 
for me, I love food. I don't know what it is. I go home, I watch the Food Network, you know, and, and I've been not eating at night. And I'll be watching something on, on the Food Network. I'm making something. I'm like, oh, that looks so good. And Grace is like, why do you do this to yourself, Tim? Like, how can you sit here and watch all this delicious food and not eat anything? I'm like, it's not like satisfying for my belly. It's just satisfying for my soul. You know, it's who I am. I'm like, man, that, my mouth is watering. And I'm like, this, I cannot. So I look forward to planning the things that I'm going to eat. So I, I look forward, and if for some reason I'm not going to eat one day, I'm looking forward to, man, what am I going to eat on Tuesday for lunch? It's going to be so good. And I mean, the only thing, there's a couple things that can really mess me up. It's whenever I, I, I'm planning on not eating a meal, so I eat. Grace just did it to me the other day. I eat lunch, and I'm not going to eat again till the next day sometime, and then I get home, and I'm like, hey, what are you guys eating for dinner? She's like, burritos. I'm like, oh, man, you dirty dog. Grace's burritos are one of those things that you cannot skip over. So I had a burrito. It was, it was smaller. Yeah, so good. Nice and greasy. Anyway, the point is the priority. And then four is you guys, the church, ministry, all that kind of stuff. So you're right under food, which means you're really high up there. But I'm joking. But it's something that I, I really look forward to, and it's something that, that, that uh, I think when you boil it down, I, I'm just like, I'm just content, you know? I'm just content. Like, God, you, like you're taking care of my wife. You're taking care of my kids. You're taking care of me, the dummy, and you, 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 you're doing this process in my life, and I'm so submitted to you in it that, that nothing else really occupies my brain, and yes, I want to work hard. And yes, I want to love people hard. And yes, I want to be you. I want to walk, take those steps through life. I want to go through that process well. I want to do it well. And, and when I get to sit down and just be thankful for what I have at, in that moment, a, a meal and a double-double or whatever. God, it's a, we, we have to place ourselves there because if we don't, you guys know what discontentment will do to you. It'll, it'll wreck you. It stinks. You're always searching, always trying to find something for satisfaction from week one. You never find it. And then what's the response? Vanity, vanity, vanity. All is vanity. I was talking to a guy in Home Depot yesterday. Went and rent some tools because we were doing a little project at home and um, started talking to this guy that was in line with us. And a huge guy. He looked like he was a linebacker. So he's like seven foot tall. He's just a, a house. And I was like, hey, what were you doing? You know, he's like cleaning tile. And he's like, what were you doing? So we were talking back and forth. And I told him what we were doing. He's like, hey, I did that in my old house. And I, this is how I did it. And I even stamped the concrete. And it was really cool. It was beautiful. Uh, and I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like, why'd you move? He's like, no, my wife divorced me and now she's got the house. I'm like, oh, bummer. He's like, yeah, I know it happens sometimes. And I'm like, such an opportunity, you know, such a beautiful opportunity. And um, like, man, people, people are living life. They're experiencing life. And, and we all go through the same things. We all go through the same things. Now, I'm not saying specifically divorce, but we all deal with heartbreak, and we all deal with, with something, intending one thing to happen one way, and then it happening another way. 
And, and God says, I, I towards you, you who I love, not just the whole world, but I for you, you, I have a, a beautiful purpose for you. And I'm going to make all things beautiful in its time in your life. And, and we need to grab a hold of that and understand it so that we're not affected by the things that negatively happen to us on a daily basis. That is really, we brought it up a couple times the last few weeks, that is seeking first the kingdom of God so that all these things could be added unto you. All these things are all beautiful things. They're all beautiful things. And, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. And look at that. It is the gift of God. So simple. You just find contentment in the little things, the things that I provide. And it's a gift from your Father. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. This is the, the understanding of eternity again. He's still on this, in, in this theme of, of God is doing things and nothing can be added or taken away. God does it that man should fear before him. Now, there's other places that say fear him. This specifically, I believe, says fear before him because it's, there is, this word fear is that, that reverence. It's a, it's a submitting to. And, and when we submit ourselves to him, it's, it's before him in humility. That which has already been and what is to be has already been. And God requires an account of what is past. Now, this is an interesting verse. I really like this verse because it's a, a thought provoker for me. So I also underline this one to meditate on a little bit more. God requires an account of what is past. This verse isn't intended for you to dwell on the past. It's not intended for you to be uh, hard on yourself because of mistakes that you made yesterday and to live your life based on those mistakes you made. That's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is talking about that you have the power today to do the right thing so that tomorrow's better. God will deal with the mistakes and, and the things that happened yesterday, but you have the ability today to take it seriously and say, hey, this is where I want to be today in the promised land, in the promises of God, knowing that this is hard, but God is making something beautiful out of it. It's imperative Verse 16, moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And then the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. Now, this is the natural process that we find ourselves getting to at this point. Even if we were just talking about the goodness of God and we were going over the top of how amazing and glorious and good God and we're shouting it from the rooftop and we're talking to people and telling them and then we'd have those people that come and say, okay, if God is so good and everything is gonna be beautiful and there's a process that he's bringing you through, why do all these bad things happen? Why are there murderers? Why are there, you know, Bad things happening all over the world. Why is there hunger? Why, if God is so good, and this is the thing, that question has to be addressed because it too is also part of the process. God loves us so much that he gives us the ability to be engaged in the process as we live through it. And that means this. Listen, this is what that means. That means that if God takes away 
the privilege, if God takes away, removes the opportunity for the bad guy to do good, then he also has to take away the opportunity for the good guy to do good. Because it doesn't go both ways. You don't get the option of doing what's bad, but not have the option of doing what's right. It goes hand in hand. That's why the Bible teaches us that that we should overcome evil with good. People are going to do bad things. What's our response to it? Our response is that that's not who God made us to be. God isn't manipulating people stopping bad things from happening. But again, it's going back to having this eternal perspective, this big picture, God's purposes, time, seasons. And we represent him as believers, understanding that we are called to an inheritance. We're called to his family. So when people choose to do bad things, instead of getting mad at God like everybody does, we say, we have an opportunity to, to overcome evil with good to do something well, to bless people, not to curse, and to allow the world to see the glory of God. This is why Christians are so set apart historically throughout history. This is why in countries where martyrs are, that's people who are losing their lives for their faith. That's why the churches in those countries are growing faster than everywhere else. Why? Because they found the true value of life. And it's not to not die. It's to live today, now. And it will go into eternity. And, and the authority of death has no control. And people are like, I want to understand that. I want to understand how this is so valuable to you. And there's, an, there's a response to it. So we overcome evil with good. He says, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. It's corruption. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Somebody looks at somebody's life and they say, you know what? That person is never going to have to deal with the consequences of how they affected so many other people. They're never really going to eat it, so to speak. You know, they're never, they're, they're corrupt. They're on the top. They're only going to become more corrupt. They're never going to be held accountable and, and they're wicked. And, and, and it's never going to, make no mistake, God has a time for everything. He's got a time for everything. And he will deal with the situation and the people. My decision is to focus not so much more on the people who are doing bad things and getting away from it, getting away with it, than, than focusing on myself and what I'm doing today, what I'm doing right now. That's what I need to be responsible for. He said, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. He will. He will set a time, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Everything's going to be weighed in the balance. And we could say it's not going to be as bad for them what their punishment is, is what they did to other people. You don't know that. You don't know what it's like to stand before God. It's going to be incredible. I said in my heart concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. That's a pretty funny verse. He tests them to show them that they're like animals. You guys are animals. 
You know what animals are concerned about? Animals are just concerned about themselves. That's it. Yeah, they stick together, and the, oh, there's these, you know, the people, oh, the herd that sticks together, and they do it to protect each other. Hey, listen, you know why they're sticking together? Not alone, it's for them, them, them own self. Their own self. I don't know where them came from, but their own self. And they have like a purpose, and, and, and they are animals. They do whatever they need to do. And I was watching the news last week. <laughs> The hurricane, I'm not laughing at the hurricane, by the way, but the hurricane hit the Carolinas, and there's a news reporter standing outside a dollar store showing the camera all the people who are looting a dollar store. And she's like, look at these people, these people, what do you do? You know you're looting, you know that's against the law, you can't do that. And she's running around the back, come on, let's go to the And they're showing all these people that are running out of the dollar store with a bunch of stuff because a hurricane came and they're acting like animals, like animals. It's like, really? It's a, mon- it's a pack of monsters. It's not really going to set you back. Now you're on national television. People are seeing you just completely unhinged. We, there's a tragedy that happened. And instead of focusing on the good things that we can do, how can we benefit from this situation? You know what? That's an animal. Instead of how, how I can help in this situation, how can I benefit in this situation? And they're looting a dollar store. Come on. And, and he says, yeah, God tests people to show them, like, hey, you guys don't have it together. You need to get your priorities in, in order. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over the animals, for all is vanity. Now we know he's taking this to the extreme he makes his point well, though. Can we agree on that? He makes his point well. All go to one place, all from the dust, and all return to the dust. Who knows the spirits of the sons of men which go upward, and the spirit of the animal which goes down to the earth? So I perceived that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own hands, for that is his heritage. This is, this is, again, along the same lines of the being content with what you have to eat and drink, contentment before God. This is, it's good. What you're doing is good just to be content with that which God is doing. And it's not to say be lazy or sit on your bottom at home and do nothing. It's like everything that you do, purposefully do intentionally to walk in those good things that God intended for you. And everything's going to be made beautiful in its time and be satisfied with what you have right now. You'll have true contentment in your heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him. You don't know. You're going to come and go. There's a biography I was reading once. It is really, really phenomenal book. Really great. It's like, it was like, it's like that big though. It's from Jerusalem to Ira and Jaira. Have you guys ever heard that book before? It maps missions from Pentecost to the present day. And it goes throughout history talking about all the people and the movements of God and the different countries that were involved and where they were going. It's really phenomenal. There's this one guy, I forgot his name. 
Vanity, vanity. <laughs> there's this one guy, because there's tons of people in there, and, and somebody came and they said, they said hey, we want to write a book about your life. And, he, and he's like, good, you can, say, you, can, you can write it. This is my life. Say the cuss came, he lived, he died, he moved along, others are coming after. There's my biography for my life. He called himself a cuss. I mean, this is like 16th century or 17th or 18th or something, one of those centuries a long time ago. But that's what he said. He said, say the cuss came, he lived, he died, he moved on. Others are coming after him. Is it really about the vanity? Or do we want to settle in what God's purpose is for us? I have three questions for you in conclusion. If you're taking notes or you want to think about these things throughout the week, these questions I have for you. Number one, what kind of season are you in? What kind of season are you in? Are you content? Are you dealing with stuff? Are you depressed? Are you lonely? Sorry? Whatever. It's important to be able to recognize the season that you're in, to be able to settle on God's purposes in what he's doing in your life. It's part of the key. So question one, what, what season are you in? Number two, do you understand do you understand that he is making everything beautiful? Because unless you understand that, again, you are not going to be able to have true contentment. Whatever's happening right now, he knows about it, and he intends it as part of his master plan, master craft, master peace. He intends it not just for your good, but for eternal glory. So that applies to whatever the first answer to the first question was. What season are you in? Do you understand he's making something beautiful in your life? Number three, do you know that you were made for more? Do you know that you were made for more? The nation of Israel was an example. They were made for more. They were made for more. They were made for a geographical plot of land that God said to them. This is an example, okay? God said to them, I want to give you this in its entirety. And they said, but this is good enough. They said, but this is good enough. God has made you for more. God has made you for eternity. He has placed eternity in your hearts. He has made you for eternity. And eternity doesn't begin when you die. Eternity begins today, right now. And answering some of those questions, recognizing where you're at, and that God is doing something beautiful in your life will allow you to be in the best place possible that you can be today for eternity's sake. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today and that we can really settle on your faithfulness. There is, there is a response. There's a response to all the vanity in the world, all the evil, all the wickedness. And the response is that, that you know what's going on. You're good and that maybe things are testing for us, maybe times can be hard, but you're doing it to make something beautiful. And we thank you. You know, I, I, don't, I don't do this all the time or every week, but 
you know, every, every once in a while, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what the Lord is doing. And if his word for you today struck a chord because of a season that you're in that you dislike or that you hate or that you're crying out to him because you're upset about your circumstances and you want to submit yourself to him today and say, God, this has been my mentality. I know that it's been wrong. I don't want to remain there. Please forgive me and help me through this. If that's you, I want to pray with you. If you want to be honest with us while everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, stick your hand up high in the air so I can see I can pray for you. Anybody else? I see your hands. Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters to you and I thank you, God, that you still speak to us today. And that whatever season we're going through, no matter how difficult it is or how trying it is or how maddening it is, you are the master crafter. You are doing it for our beautification. So we submit ourselves to the process. We humble ourselves before you and thank you that you've given us all that you've given us. That we're part of your family, that you have a plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Also, I want to give you an opportunity. You don't know what I'm talking about because you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never submitted to God. I want to give you an opportunity today. You say you don't know what life's purpose is. You say that you don't get it. You say that sometimes I act like an animal. The answer today is that God will give you purpose. He will show to you at least the beginning of his plan and purpose in your life, but not until you submit to him. And the only way that we can have communion with God is to receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. His blood paid the penalty of death that was required by each and every one of us. And it reconciles us to God. If you've never done that and you want to do that today, submitting your life to God, accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I want to pray for you. Raise your hand high up in the air so we can pray together so you can understand what God's purpose is for you and that it's good. Father, bless my brothers and sisters this week. Allow them to see eternity in today, please. To see your purposes in today and tomorrow when tomorrow's called today. Glorify yourself through them. Draw them closer to you Thank you for this time that we have together in Jesus' name. Amen.